0: A reading from 1st John 5 everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the father loves his child as well this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The Word of God.
1: Well, good morning. morning. Let me add my welcome to everyone, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. It's great to be gathered in worship as we turn to God's Word. Thank you, Brian, for reading our passage this morning. And as the kids are dismissed to their class, if you have a Bible uh, in front of you or on your phone, you can turn and open to this passage, 1 John 5. We'll be looking at the uh, verses that we just heard read and a little bit more, so if you can get that in front of you, it's also on our bulletin page on our website as well. But as we get started, I'm going to make a statement that might come as a shock uh, to many people, so brace yourselves, and that is professional wrestling is staged. (laughs) I don't know if any. yeah, I'm not kidding, I'm not kidding. Uh, I'm sorry if I just shattered your whole concept of reality, but it's true. I never got into pro wrestling much as a kid like some of my friends did, but I remember being a little concerned for them when they went to try out for the high school wrestling team. I'm like, hey. That, that's not staged. You guys might get hurt. But pro wrestlers, if you've ever seen pro wrestling, you know, these guys are, are built, right? They may be great athletes. They may have great skill in fighting and wrestling. But in essence, what they're really paid for is to be entertainers, to be actors. They're paid to put on a show. They're really good at making it look like they're in a battle, like they're fighting, maybe except for those punches where, you know, they're kind of like two feet from their face. I better quit before I offend some pro wrestling fans. By and large, though, they put on a good show. They know how to put on a show of battle, but the the difference is the victory is already determined before the fight even begins. The winner of the pro wrestling match knows he's going to be the winner before he ever enters the match, and So he gets in there and he plays out his part accordingly. In our text this morning, John the Apostle tells us that as believers in Christ, we are overcomers. Through Christ, the enemy is already defeated. And so we get in this life, we get the privilege of just living out the victory that Christ has already won. And we continue in our series through John's letters, Uh, we're nearing the end of 1 John, Along the way through this letter, we've seen John repeat some key themes over and over again, like abide in Christ, love one another, love one another, over and over. Last week he said that, or we saw in our passage last week, that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. This week in chapter 5, we'll see that John is building on this assuring of our standing in Christ by telling us that the victory is ours in Jesus. And so as we look at these pa- this passage together, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word, its power in our lives. We thank you for your spirit that illuminates this passage and opens our eyes spiritually to see what you would have us see. And so we ask that you would do that. Even in these few moments that we look at this passage, whether we're seeing it for the thousandth time or the first time, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So take a look again at 1 John 5, uh, starting in verse 1. John says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Stop there for just a second. So, so far in these verses, these are more of the, of the greatest hits, aren't they? This, John's repeating these themes that he's been telling us over and over again so far. Here again, we have the connection between being born of God and the love that should naturally flow out of that, right? We've been seeing that. And in verse 2, he really says the same thing, but in reverse. He normally has been saying our love for God is tested or demonstrated by our love for others well here he says we know whether we love others if we love and obey God it sounds kind of circular but his point is it's all connected you can't have one without the other and again he's been making that point all along and these commands aren't a burden to us because as we've been seeing we're called to abide in Christ it's his life in us and through us Jesus enables us to obey and to love But as he's been doing all along, he kind of has this cyclical or circular uh, style in his letter. So he keeps coming back to the same theme, but then he adds another piece to it. In this passage, what he adds, we see in verses 4 and 5. So look there. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so this here is the new layer that John adds here, that believers are overcomers of the world. Who overcomes? Everyone who has been born of God, he says. Who's been born of God? He's just told us in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. So remember, John is writing to Christians here, those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. Not those who have done great things, or have done lots of Uh, religious activity, but those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. So if you have questions about that and you don't know that you know Jesus as your Savior, we'd love to talk to you about that. But the invitation for you is to believe, it's to trust, it's to receive the free gift of salvation in Jesus alone. But along the way in this letter, he's been talking about several marks of the believer, what distinguishes a true Christian. Here he says we are overcomers. And the word he uses for victory here is the same root word as overcome. So really, in just these two verses, he repeats it four times. Overcome. So what does it mean then, we have to ask the question, what does it mean to overcome the world? Images might come to mind like Alexander the Great just conquering the planet. But John's already told us what he means by world back in chapter 2, if you remember that. Remember John said, don't love the world? He didn't mean the planet. He certainly didn't mean the planet's people. He's talking about the world's fallen system as it stands opposed to God. He warned us against all that is in the world. Remember that back in chapter 2? What's all that's in the world? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So he's saying Christians are overcomers. Christians are conquerors of the world in this sense, of the world's temptations to covetousness, to lust, to pride. Doesn't mean perfectly, of course. We still fail, we still sin, but as uh, commentator Colin Cruz puts it, believers have overcome the worldly tendency to satisfy their own sinful cravings, and as a result, they are free to show love to others and so fulfill God's command. So John's giving us a new angle here, but remember, it's all woven together into the whole of the letter. John is weaving all of these truths together Together, all the ones he's been hammering over and over each each time we've looked at this. And so our conquering isn't about dominating. Overcoming here isn't about getting our way, but rather the freedom to obey God. If Jesus has freed me from the power of sin, then he has enabled me to love my neighbor rather than covet what my neighbor has. If Jesus has freed me from the power of sin in my life, then I am free to love my neighbor, not one-up my neighbor in pride like the world is so tempted to do. This overcoming is also not a sort of triumphalism or being successful in the world's eyes. I'm just going to win at everything because I'm an overcomer in Christ. No, that's not what John is saying. What does he say our victory is? Our faith. Our victory is our faith. A lot of people talk about faith. A lot of people in the world talk about faith and seem to like faith. Have you noticed that? People seem to have faith in faith rather than faith in God. People talk a lot about faith and don't necessarily say what their faith or who their faith is in. Faith is sort of this vague power that we can tap into, kind of like the force in Star Wars. You know, we come up against some obstacle and use the faith, Luke, something like that, and then boom, Problem solved. Because we had faith, because we connected to this power. Faith in what? Right? That's always the question. Faith in who? John defines exactly what he means by faith in verse 5. The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We call this saving faith. It's not that our faith saves us, but the one we put our faith in saves us. It's far more important in Scripture where we put our faith than how much we have. Like Jesus said, if we have faith the size of a uh, mustard seed, we can move mountains. In other words, just a little bit of faith where it belongs in Jesus Christ is worth a whole lot more than tons of faith put somewhere else or in someone else that can't really deliver. In Mark 9, Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy, and he says to the father of the boy, "'All things are possible for one who believes.'" And I love the Father's response in Mark 9. He he cries out and says, I believe, help my unbelief. I love the honesty of that. And Jesus did the miracle. We overcome through our faith, but it's our faith in Jesus. Maybe you've heard the old hymn, Faith is the Victory. I used to sing that a lot as a kid in the church I grew up in. And the first verse Uh, goes like this, encamped along the hills of light ye Christian soldiers rise and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe and veils below let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory we know that overcomes the world. You ever heard that song before? Sang that? There are segments of the church today that when we hear about overcoming, when we hear about conquering, the first thing that might enter our mind is a culture war, uh, political power, winning arguments in the name of Jesus, fighting for the church to have more sway in the world, right? Like the hymn says, let all our strength be hurled. And we say, yes, I'm going to get in on that fight. But let all our strength be hurled at who? At what? At what? against the foe in veils below. Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's the enemy, Paul says. That's the battle we're engaged in. And so we're tempted today to fight against flesh and blood, We're tempted to turn our attention and fight one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, and even unbelievers outside the church who seem to stand opposed to the gospel. But if we do that, we lose sight of the real enemy. And yes, many are quick to say, what about the ideas, what about the philosophies, what about even the laws in our land that seem opposed to the things of God? Don't we fight them? And yes, in a way, we do. As American citizens, we have a unique privilege of voting, contacting our representatives, engaging in cultural conversations, getting involved in issues that matter like so many in our body do. And that's part of living out our faith. But the incredible challenge with that that we're seeing in our world today, in our country specifically, is that the challenge is to do that without vilifying other people. The challenge is to be involved and be engaged in culture without forgetting to love, which is the most important thing. Without falling for the lie that all is lost if a certain president gets into office for four years. As believers, John says, the world is already conquered. The victory is already won. So that knowledge should give us security and freedom to enter in to hard conversations, even into disagreements. Because we know that Jesus has already won. And so we know that our political involvement, our cultural involvement, must always fall under the primary spiritual battle that's taking place. Our victory is our faith in Jesus because he's the rightful king. So no matter what happens on this planet, no matter what happens in this country, Jesus is coming back one day to take over. As usual, John's not making any of this up. He gets it all from Jesus. In chapter 16 of John's gospel, which we heard this morning in the call to worship, Jesus gives his disciples some teaching, some encouragement to prepare them for when he will be, at least in body, without them, separate from them. Many, so many of the themes we've seen in 1 John come right out of this upper room discourse. But in chapter 16, John war, uh, Jesus warns them that the world will hate them. They will be persecuted. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation." But take heart, I have overcome the world. So the Apostle John now in his letter takes this truth, these words of the Lord Jesus, and he says, we as believers are overcomers because we trust the one who has overcome. And how did Jesus overcome? Think about it. How did Jesus overcome? Was it by a display of great power and great might? It's kind of a trick question. Because his enemy wasn't the Jews, it wasn't the Romans who put him to death on the cross. And so from the human perspective, Jesus' overcoming, Jesus' conquering, looked a whole lot like defeat. Because it came through suffering and it came through death. But the real battle, scripture tells us, was won through that conquering, through that overcoming. See, Jesus delivered a death blow to the real enemy through his death on the cross and his resurrection. As followers of Jesus, those abiding in Christ, trying to be like Jesus in the power of the Spirit, do we think our overcoming should look much different? See, we overcome through humility. We overcome through giving of ourselves. We overcome through dying to self for the sake of others. See, Jesus is teaching there in John 16, and likely uh, John's context here in his letter is the context of expecting persecution— Remember this church was surrounded by false teachers. But don't worry, that's the point. Don't worry, Jesus has overcome the world. So even if you suffer and you will, even if you die for your faith and you might, you're an overcomer if you know Jesus Christ. So our overcoming comes not through dominating like the world overcomes, but by dying to self. It comes through having faith and obeying God when things are tough, when things are costly. As Daniel Akin writes and puts it so well, overcomers via the new birth and faith in Christ are no longer consumed by what they don't have. That's lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes. Or what they do have, and that's pride and lifestyle, the spell has been broken. The shackles have come loose. The blinders have been removed. We no longer pine after and love stuff. Rather, with new holy affections, we pine after and love God. The new birth makes all of this possible, and faith gives us the eyes to see it. So in verses 1 through 5, John tells us that we are overcomers through our faith in Christ. And in the rest of the passage, which we'll just read through and look at very quickly, John assures us that our faith in Jesus is well placed. And so look at verse 6 as we just read this passage together to get the full context. so John assures these first century believers and he assures us today that victory, the victory of Jesus over the world includes the false teaching that was surrounding this church, that even today so much false teaching surrounds us. Now there are some tricky interpretive issues in this passage if you noticed, if you're familiar with it, like what does John mean by Jesus coming by both water and blood? Some think by water means a physical human birth. Some think the water more points to Jesus' baptism. When the Spirit came on him, others... And the blood seems pretty clearly to point to his death on the cross. But the false teaching of, that, of the day in the first century helped shed some light on this. There was a heretic named Corinthus who was a first century Gnostic, and he taught that the divine part of Jesus came down and descended on the human Jesus at his baptism, but then left him before his crucifixion. But what does John insist here? John insists that Jesus came by both water and blood. Big picture, we know in some way these false teachers were denying who Jesus really is. Fully God, fully man, Messiah, God's Son, who became fully human and died a very real death for our sins. The false teachers were denying that truth. And so over against all that, John lays out, one after the other, all these witnesses, all these testimonies to the truth of our faith. Jesus in his baptism, his crucifixion, the spirit that Jesus sent, the Father himself, our conversion, the eternal life that Jesus gives us that we possess even now. All of these testify that our faith in Jesus is well placed. And so John reassures us that no matter what we face, we are overcomers. We are overcomers. uh, Victory in Christ is assured. And so that should give us strength, it does give us strength, to keep on abiding, to keep our eyes on Jesus. That when we see things around us falling apart, and they are, they always are in this fallen world, we can keep on abiding. Instead of getting wrapped up with so much anxiety and fear about what's happening around us, we can find freedom in Christ to love, to give of ourselves. I love the clarity of verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And remember, who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. He's saying, church, little children, you have the Son, so you have life. Don't listen to those false teachers. You have life. Jesus is already overcome. So our job is not to fight against those who don't have life, but to show that life to them by our love. So what an opportunity we have as believers. And in this Lenten season, as we consider that we are dust, that we are finite, that we are sinners, we remember also that we have eternal victory in Jesus Christ. That we have life in Him, so we're enabled to die daily to ourselves, and we're enabled to reflect His love to those around us. And so let's take some time this season, even this week, in the season of renewal and repentance, to consider maybe some of the ways that you and your heart have been prone to fight against the wrong enemy. To ask God to help you to die to self, to abide in Jesus Christ more closely. For some of us, we have a habit of giving something up during Lent. Something like fasting from food or something else can be such a powerful way to encourage us to abide more deeply in Christ. For others, it's not giving something up, but taking something on. Maybe a new spiritual practice to guide our hearts and our minds toward him. So I think that we as Christians have something in common with pro-wrestlers. It's probably not something you've ever heard in a sermon before. But we're in the arena. We're in a battle before the watching world, but the winner has already been announced. The winner's already been determined before we even got here. So we get to go out there and we get to put on a show. We get to live out our part in the story. We live our lives in Christ, not as, I love the way Tony Evans put it, not for victory, but from victory. Jesus said, take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray together. I close with a prayer by Avis Christensen. I prayed for help, I prayed for strength, I prayed for victory. I prayed for patience and for love, for true humility, but as I prayed, my dying Christ by faith I seemed to see, and as I gazed, my glad heart cried, all things are mine through thee. If he doth dwell within my heart, why need I strength implore? The giver of all grace is mine. Shall I ask for more? And need I pray for victory when he who conquered death dwells in my very inmost soul, nearer indeed than breath? Oh, help me, Lord, to realize that thou art all in all, that I am am more than conqueror in great things and in small. No need have I, but thou hast met upon the cruel tree, O precious, dying, risen Lord, you are my victory. Amen.